Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. One of the areas where we need to focus on in life is helping our next generation, helping them to grow in the healthiest environment and to recognize when they need some extra help and when there are some ways that we can provide them assistance, particularly as they're growing and going through their school years. So today we're going to talk with Dr. Ryan Lee. He's a neurodevelopmental disabilities trained pediatrician here in the islands. And his colleague, Dr. Edissa Devine, she is a pediatrician pediatric neurologist with a specialty in neuromuscular disorders and talk about how they're creating this new clinic milestones that's going to help service the needs of some of our keiki in some of the ways that they may have some concerns and medical issues that we often might identify, but we're going to find ways that we can not just notice it, but help them as well. I want to thank you both for joining me today in the studio. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Now, I'm an adult doctor. I know very little about pediatrics. I'm just going to put that out there. And by the time I see adults, you know, they have to be over 18. If they have a problem, somebody else smart like you guys has already diagnosed it. So thank you for doing that. But I really don't know what neurodevelopmental disabilities are. Dr. Ryan, what are they? Neurodevelopmental disabilities are disorders that involve the developing brain, and um, they affect children very early on in development. So some examples of these disorders include attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which is very common. Approximately one in 10 children have a diagnosis of ADHD. Others include autism, cerebral palsy, um, epilepsy, and other forms of developmental delay, such as language delays, movement or motor delays, socialization impairments, and behavior problems. Some of these are caused by genetic disorders that have been inherited or were created new, and others might be caused by environmental triggers, um, such as fetal alcohol syndrome or drug exposure in utero. So we have a variety of disorders that cause an injury to the developing brain that results in some sort of developmental or behavioral problem that presents to us as pediatricians. Now, would parents be the ones noticing this? Would teachers be the ones noticing this? I mean, who's going to be smart enough to say, something's not right here? <laughs> Hopefully it won't be the adult medicine doctor who knows. Hopefully it not, the first because time. if they've re- <laughs> if they've reached the age where I'm seeing them, I hope somebody <laughs> smart has really figured this out early. But okay. But you're absolutely right. We get referrals coming in from the community from parents who um, have noticed that something might be wrong with their child, but they don't know what that is. Common um, thing that I hear in the community is, "Why is my child not talking yet?" And they might be one and a half, two years old. Another um, problem that commonly presents is why is my child not sitting up or walking yet? And they might be around the same age. And so parents definitely are are noticing problems. Another um, population that that notices these problems are our primary care providers, such as pediatricians, family medicine doctors, um, and and others in the community who um, do routine checks on 
patients, and they have screening tools that they use. And if the child screens positive, they might make a referral to our subspecialty clinic. Other people in the community that notice these problems as sort of first responders um, include teachers, um, early intervention evaluators, and um, and then you know I've even had a mechanic notice that in Palau, for example, a mechanic noticed a child running around and said that child's calves are very big. I think they might have a problem. You may, you need to get checked out and go to Hawaii to get evaluated. And so in that case, the mechanic told the mom because they had seen children before with similar-looking calves that were extremely big that they need to get evaluated. And what that resulted in was the child flying all the way from Palau to Oahu where they were evaluated by myself and the team and diagnosed with a disorder called Duchenne muscular dystrophy because it was noticed in other family members in Palau and they had a, um, a, an outcome that was poor. That's one amazing mechanic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can work on my car anytime, buddy, <laughs> but I don't know how you're going to do it if you're in Palau. But I mean, because that's somebody who has, and again, I think for a lot of folks, particularly those people on the front lines you mentioned, you know, teachers, family practice docs, pediatricians, you know what normal is, and you kind of know enough to know what isn't normal. And then you do some initial testing, and you refer to someone who might be able to help further identify it. Now, I want to talk about how you do that in just a minute. But Dr. Edisa, what is a neuromuscular disorder? So we know what neurodevelopmental disorders are. Would Duchenne's be a neuromuscular disorder? Yeah, so actually it is. That's a really great example of a neuromuscular disorder. Um, so neuromuscular disorders in general basically mean any problems with the nerves or the muscles. And so when I think about the nervous system, we kind of divide it up into the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. So the central nervous system is composed of the brain and the spinal cord. And the peripheral nervous system is basically everything Everything else. else. Yeah. So, So it's the nerve roots coming out of your spinal cord. It is the peripheral nerves, so the nerves traveling all the way down to your fingers and to your toes. It's what we call the neuromuscular junction, which is the connection between the nerve and the muscle, where the nerve talks to the muscle. And then there's the muscle itself. And so Duchenne's, you know, which we were just talking about, that's actually a muscle disorder. So what would be some other examples of neuromuscular disorders that you see that are common? Another common disorder is, um, it's actually what we call a neuropathy. So you've probably heard of that in the adult population. Um, but in children, you can actually have what are called hereditary neuropathies. So there's a, a group of disorders called CMT, Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease. Um, and and that that's one of the more common um, uh, hereditary neuropathies that I see. Would that be something that someone could visually identify when they're seeing uh, and a kid that's walking around? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, so to a trained eye, yes. Um, and even perhaps to that mechanic from Palau. He's a trained eye. I'm yes. going to give him training. There Not you go. every mechanic <laughs> is making these diagnoses. No, there's probably this like one guy in Palau like, right. I'm now famous, but we're, what am I going to We're going to hire him, by you the way. You got it. That sounds good. <laughs> Remote for, diagnosis, yeah. But yeah, for, for Charcot-Marie tooth disease, so, um, so some of the characteristic findings are what we call high arches and hammer toes. Um, so the feet actually have a very characteristic appearance. And 
you know, perhaps that's just funny looking feet. You know, that's sometimes how patients present or maybe what a primary provider might recognize. But, um, but you know, the combination of funny looking feet and perhaps a child is tripping or falling, you know, they're having trouble with running or, or their coordination, that may be a sign that something more, more um, worrisome is going on and they should be evaluated. So let's talk a little bit, Dr. Ryan, about how you do an evaluation. So somebody is sent to you, you see them in the office, and pick a diagnosis. We can pick ADHD. You know, there's a lot of kids who get diagnosed with that, or they get told they may have that. What tools do you use that help you to determine if that is the diagnosis or maybe it's not? By far the best tool that we have is the parents and the child in front of us. Our patients teach us. And so I begin every visit after greeting the family, getting to know their names, with asking them, what concerns do you have today? And I give them time, five, ten minutes, to just talk about concerns from the very beginning of when they noticed the problem until today, why they're presenting here. And they often have a long story to tell. And that story, we call it a history is the most important part of helping me make any diagnosis that the child has. We learned that early on in medical school. It still holds true today. A lot of <laughs> people forget it, but yes, you're right. It still holds true. Yep. And, and so that history is very telling. Um, within that history, it gives me a pattern by which symptoms might have started, deficits, and how they evolved. Um, following that, we take further history uh, about the child's um, social life, um, their behaviors, their family history or heritability, and then we do a physical examination on the patient. We might also do some specific testing called developmental and behavioral testing on them, and these are standardized tests that take uh, more time to do. And this largely depends on what we suspect as being a diagnosis or what the needs of the family are. Following the, the history and physical examination, um, I sit down and review. I summarize with the family what we know now after the 45 minutes to an hour that we've spent together. And then we make a diagnosis if we can, and in most cases we can. We make a diagnosis right there based upon all the information that we've gotten from other medical providers, other tests that have been done, and the history that we've taken in the exam. And the diagnosis is just one step in helping the family understand what is wrong. All right, and we're going to hear about more of those other steps when we come right back after this quick break. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show, and I'm talking with Dr. Ryan Lee and Dr. Edissa Devine from Milestones, a neurodevelopmental center that is available very shortly, in about a week or so, going to have a grand opening. And so we're going to hear more about the next step after you spend that time with the family and with the patients in just a moment. We have a very quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, locations, Ekahi Ornish Lifestyle Medicine, and Hawaii Pacific University. 
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Ryan Lee and Dr. Edissa Devine. We're talking about the process of making a diagnosis. And you touched on something that's so true and often so overlooked, that 80% of your diagnosis, if not more, is based on history, history and observation, and that that's where I think we don't have enough emphasis these days. But you're, so you, let's just say someone presented to you, you spend a lot of time in the beginning getting the history observing the family, talking about their concerns and what's going on. You do a physical exam, and you may administer some other testing that you talked about, and then you describe a diagnosis. Can that change over time when you have an opportunity to see someone again in follow-up? Do you see sometimes that different things are observed, and you might refine or even be more specific with a diagnosis? Absolutely. That's... um part of the process of us understanding the child better. We'd like to narrow down a neurodevelopmental diagnosis on the first visit, and in, in most cases we do. Um, but if we need to, we'll make a diagnosis that is what I like to call a placeholder diagnosis. If the child has a receptive expressive language delay, and I'm uncertain if this is going to evolve into a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder or ADHD or be simply an idiopathic um, inherited language disorder that will resolve over time, I use a placeholder diagnosis because giving um, a diagnosis such as autism or some other socially charged diagnosis sometimes sends families into um, a whole new direction for their child. And, And we don't give out diagnoses lightly. We know the weight of those words. And so... Um, I don't mind using a placeholder diagnosis until um, we clarify that better for them. And that's a really important point because you're right. There are some socially charged diagnoses or even just things that if a family believes that their child has a condition and then they start becoming very active in a community for that condition and reinforcing the fact that the child has the diagnosis and then later on they find out they don't, there's a whole other element of separation from being part of this community of support that may be giving the family something that they feel has been helping their child. And to take that away is often difficult. But I also think that it lends itself to the idea that do it right the first time. Make the diagnosis correct the first time. And if you put in that placeholder diagnosis, be willing to revise it. It's much easier for adults. You know, I can say to somebody, hey, I think your blood pressure is a little high. I want to check some more measurements before I diagnose you with hypertension because I need to get some more information. And for something that is so common as blood pressure, I don't usually see a lot of patients get pushed back and resist. I don't want to be diagnosed with blood pressure. I don't want to have that thing because so many people have it. There's not that stigma to having high blood pressure. And yet when you're dealing with children, when you're dealing with developmental delays or disorders, I think there's a much higher percentage of people who have a stigma, a concern that they're they're going to be labeled and maybe inappropriately so, or maybe maybe just too early and there's something else that's going to develop. So it brings up some really good points. Now, how would the process differ, Dr. Edissa, with neuromuscular disorders? Because this may be something where you can visually identify it, like the mm-hmm. mechanic who saw the large calves, but there may also be some other, I mean, I just think of 
all of these different types of muscular dystrophies and all of these various different descriptions and it blows my mind i don't know how to keep them straight there's so many <laughs> and i don't you, you look funny i don't know what's wrong with you what do i do <laughs> so again luckily i'm an adult doctor so by the time they see me this has all been worked out but what would be the process and how would it differ from what dr ryan mentioned when you're dealing with a referral or for someone coming in with a undiagnosed neuromuscular disorder yeah, so the initial process is actually very similar. You know, I always start with a thorough history, a thorough exam. And with the example that I provided earlier in a child with CMT, Charcot-Marie Tooth Disease, sometimes I'll, you know, if that's what I'm suspecting, I'll even ask the parents to take off their shoes to examine their feet to see perhaps, you know, can I find where this child is 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 getting the diagnosis from or getting the condition from. Um, but there are a few additional steps uh, that may apply to some children with, with neuromuscular diseases, and one of those is a test called an EMG. And an EMG stands for electromyogram. And while I use the term EMG, that test is actually a two-part test. So the first part of the test is what we call the nerve conductions, and then the second part is the EMG proper, which is actually a muscle examination. So basically, what I do during that test is I evaluate that child's peripheral nervous system, so both their nerves and their muscles. And I do that by putting little stickers or little electrodes on either their hand or their foot, and then I stimulate the nerves, so send little electrical impulses through the nerve and measure the response, see how well those nerves are functioning. Then the second part of that, as I mentioned, is the EMG, the muscle exam. And that involves inserting a small pin or a small needle into some different muscles and actually listening, using that as a, as a tool to listen to the muscle activity. And depending on what I see on the screen and what I hear, those muscles, uh, what they sound like, that can really help define, is this a nerve problem or is this a muscle problem? You listen to the muscles. I love the way you put that because my muscles usually just scream, why are you doing this? <laughs> why are you doing this? So, and, and, you know, just to dispel a couple of myths, this is not a test that is excruciatingly painful. It's not. And it is so helpful diagnostically mm -hmm. because it really helps to distinguish between the muscle not working because the nerve isn't telling it to work mm -hmm. versus the muscle not working because there's something wrong with the muscle. So when you do that particular evaluation, that can help you to define what the condition may be, adding that other element of the clinical history and the physical exam and the whole picture. Absolutely. What can be done for neuromuscular disorders? I mean, my just general naive thought is a lot of them may be genetic and there's mm -hmm. no treatment and that that may not be the case. Well, it depends on the condition is really the answer. And for a lot of conditions, it's not that nothing can be done. It's that the, the mainstay of treatment is really what we call supportive care, meaning you can provide prescriptions for braces or assistive devices. You can get these children into therapy, you know, seeing an appropriate speech therapist or occupational therapist or physical therapist, depending on their needs. And really making sure that you're taking care of the child as a whole, I think, is the most important. Um, you're right, though. I mean, a lot of the neuromuscular conditions, there isn't a specific cure. Um, there are certain conditions, for example, we were talking about Duchenne muscular dystrophy, that can be treated um, 
with a medicine called prednisone, you know, with, with what we call a steroid. And that can help, um, that has been shown to help prevent the, uh, the time that it takes for the child to need a wheelchair. So basically it prolongs the amount of time that they're able to walk. And that's huge for a family, and you know, especially for that patient. So there's lots of things that can be done. Absolutely. And even early identification with interventions can help delay the onset of worsening problems, but also help provide, like you mentioned, supportive care. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. I'm here with Dr. Ryan Lee and Dr. Edissa Devine from Milestones Neurodevelopmental Center. When we come back, we're going to talk a little more about what are some of the unique features that are going to be present in their upcoming Neurodevelopmental Center and how you can find out more about it. We'll be right back. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ulupono Initiative, Impact Hub Honolulu Co-working, and iDoctors Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Dr. Ryan Lee and Dr. Edissa Devine. And we're talking about neurodevelopmental and neuromuscular disorders. And we've heard about the importance of history from both of you. Very important that it's taken and it's done over time and it's done with enough time. And that's going to be one of the key features of what you're creating with Milestones. You're really developing a niche that we we need to be able to provide for families so that if they get a diagnosis that they're concerned about or they want to confirm or they get referred from another location somewhere in the Pacific, that you're able to provide for them that comprehensive evaluation and also put this together in a center where you have cooperation with colleagues and maybe even some of the therapies at the same time. So Milestones is going to open. What's going to be in that neurodevelopmental center? You both are going to be there. We yes. will both be Taking there. very long histories and very detailed <laughs> and doing a much better job than even I think I do. So who else is going to be there and what can people expect? People can expect individualized, comprehensive, and transdisciplinary approach towards care. These are families and children who are some of the most complex and most vulnerable children our state has. And they don't simply have one medical or developmental problem, but multiple diagnoses, in it. and this is the norm for us. And so when we are discussing care for these children, they need the comprehensive evaluation. They need clarity. They need multiple providers talking with each other understanding each other's disciplines and providing insight into not only their discipline but insight into how another discipline might be able to contribute to their specific area. For example, if if a child has autism, they don't simply have autism, they also they have a language delay, right? They have behavioral problems. They might even have gastrointestinal problems such as a feeding disorder or or a dietary and nutrition problem too. And so while all of these are under the banner of a neurodevelopmental disorder, I can think of four providers that could strongly contribute to the health of this child. That would be a, a dietitian, a speech and language pathologist, and a behavioral specialist. And we can throw in an educational specialist, too, and a psychologist. 
and these are in addition to myself as a provider. So all of these need a, uh, also some care coordination too. And so in our center, we're going to have uh, numerous providers that are um, each experts in what they do. I think they're the best in the state. I'm a little biased. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> <laughs> but But we're going to look at, at each child uniquely and attempt to provide a unique form of care for them called transdisciplinary care. And this involves teaming for those most complex kids. Um, we will sit around a table, not unlike one that we're sitting here, and discuss the child's problems, uh, not only from our perspective, but from, from everybody's perspective. We'll come um, together to, to, um, to develop a management plan for that child and utilize community resources, hopefully supporting a system of care that can um, best help that child reach their potential. Now, that that's an interesting discussion in and of itself because not every child is going to reach the potential that, that sometimes the parents want or that society might want. Um, but we believe at Milestones that every child can contribute and teach us something. Um, they have something to teach us about care and love. They have something to teach families about love too, extending beyond ourselves. And, and we think that there's so much value in every child that comes through our clinic that we want that story to be told through the care that they receive and also through the stories that, that they're going to share with the community um, at large. And so we're establishing milestones for the families and children to be able to share their their lives and stories with the community so that we can make our community better and stronger. I want to go, but I'm an adult. <laughs> we, we, You want to take off your shoes now? Yeah. Like, let's, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Do it <laughs> Maybe I have a, a weird disorder. <laughs> there are some theories on that. Where is it going to be? We're going to be located in downtown Honolulu, 820 Mililani Street, Suite 400, Honolulu, Hawaii 96813. I do just want to clarify that is in downtown Honolulu. Some of our uh, families are are seeing the Mililani Street address and are thinking that that means it's in Mililani, but we're actually located in downtown Honolulu. Which, you know, Mililani is a nice place. Absolutely. It's just that it's not central. And I think mm-hmm. in order to reach the folks that you need to and to be available and accessible to more people in this environment, you need to be in an urban area. So mm-hmm. that's certainly going to lend itself to a good location. Plus also, you know, you mentioned that it's going to be transdisciplinary care. And, you know, like in cancer care, they have they have a cancer committee and they all get together and they have different disciplines that all talk about a particular person's cancer and they decide collectively how to best treat that individual and treat that person's tumor. And it sounds like that exact way of Combining all of those potential contributors to that individual's care is exactly what you're trying to do for children. So it's helping me to put it in a model for adults that I that I can easily comprehend and understand. It certainly sounds like there is going to be a huge waiting line at your front door, <laughs> and I hope so because you both have put in a lot of time and effort to really bring this expertise here to the islands that will help to really establish a center of excellence and provide these options for families and children in the islands. I mean, it's exciting. I want to come see the clinic and want to come bring my staff and see how things go in the pediatric world. Sometimes 
I tell them it's really hard to handle some of the patients. And they're like, really, really? <laughs> and so I have a feeling that you guys would laugh at me when I <laughs> – and you did when I say those sorts of things. <laughs> so if people want to contact you, you've mentioned the address. Is there any other way that they can find you? There is. So we have a website. Um, it is uh, milestoneshawaii.org.org. And we also have a phone number that is active. So it's area code 808-979-6700. We also have a fax number, uh, 808-441-9875. Well, I don't know if I'll be faxing you, but (laughs) I want to thank both of you for coming on today. I'm excited. I want to see the clinic, and I want to really help support your efforts to do what great, wonderful work for our community here in the islands. Thanks for sharing your expertise. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Thank you to Dr. Ryan Lee and Dr. Edissa Devine from Milestones. And we will be right back here next Monday, right here on The Body Show.